Ladies and gentlemen, you know what that sound means. It means it is episode 118 of the Personal Arrogance Podcast. Coming to you live from Seattle, Washington, and a mystery location, which we will get to very shortly. Uh, Jesse is gone this week because he's staring at a baby that is that is a significant other just had. So apparently that's more important than the podcast. But, uh, but this week we have a very special guest. Go ahead and reveal yourself, special guest. Aaron Hubbard. Aaron. Right here. Aaron from the Bald Move Network, a fan favorite Aaron. Broadcasting live from the Bald Tower in the beautiful Midwest <laughs> coast. Yes. Excellent. Uh, I thank you so much for, for joining me so late at night. Hey, no problem. This is a late night cast for you. Yeah, I was going to be sitting sitting around drinking beer anyway, so I figured, what the hell? Yeah, what the hell? Um, <laughs> well, so uh, so I, I think everybody, first of all, is dying to know, Aaron, how was your Halloween? Uh, it was pretty good. I had mm-hmm. like a double Halloween this year. Oh, I yeah? had the weekend before Halloween with my boy, mm-hmm. and uh, he dressed up as Mega Man, mm-hmm. uh, and it was a really sweet costume. I I uh, built him a PVC arm cost uh, arm cannon. Excellent. I got him blue boots and light blue thermal underwear and a nice bright blue <laughs> helmet. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking, what am I going to go as? Uh-huh. And then it hit me. I've got to go as Doctor Light, right? Oh, you have to. So I borrowed my dad. My dad used to work for a dental laboratory, so he had a, 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 a lab coat to give me. Uh-huh. I got a Santa Claus beard and wig. Uh, I threw on a tie and a little Dr. Light name badge, and boom, Did you we were ready any, to hit the town. Are there, are there any pictures of this? I do. I've got some pictures. Oh, uh, dude. I need to fo- post them on Facebook. I'm a little bit behind. Put them on Facebook. Put it on the Facebook. And put on the Facebook. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I put it on the Facebook. See, I uh, I haven't really had my Halloween yet because it's kind of a weird when Halloween falls on a Wednesday. You get it's like the Halloween really tough. Yeah. So you, you know we went to, we were at the karaoke uh, last weekend. That was kind of a dud because mm-hmm. uh, apparently like everyone in Seattle decided to go to this karaoke joint. Oh yeah. Uh, Is that it, the famous uh... the Baronoff? The Baronoff, exactly. Yeah, the Baronoff. Uh, early recommendation for the Baronoff any night of the week. Thursdays, Fridays, and Sundays, check out Patty, the karaoke master. Uh, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> So we went there. It was really crowded. But then this weekend, we have our party. And we've got ah. some sweet like 1980s-inspired ski chalet costumes. First nice. year is a couple costumes. So, But, you know, that's part of the engagement, engaged life is a cu- couple costume. Sure, sure. Yeah. So... Uh, so yeah, we'll we're, we'll do it this weekend. But uh, oh yeah, and then Jesse had a baby on Halloween. How cool is that? Halloween baby. It's kind of su- I feel sorry for his little girl because oh I don't know. It always sucks when you stack up on a holiday like that. It sucks when you're on Christmas, right? Yeah, it's, it's terrible for Christmas. I don't know if it's that terrible for Halloween. Well, but you know, you get all the gifts and birthday cake, and mm-hmm. then you're gonna go out and trick or treat. That's like diabetes waiting to happen. <laughs> It is, it's, but just imagine at every she could throw the Halloween party every year and have birthday cake at a Halloween party. That's pretty. And, and a costume and everyone's birthday a costume. party every year. Yes, that's yeah, pretty that's sweet. Pretty cool. Yes, uh, and, st- stock up on insulin, Jesse. That's all you need to do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so speaking of that, uh, speaking of that, Aaron, who is this episode dedicated to? We have to dedicate, and I don't know her name yet. Uh, the the newborn mm-hmm. warrior princess uh, at at the uh, at on Sam Hine she mm-hmm. was delivered unto us and her name is Elsa Blue Wilson just shy of nine pounds twenty two mm-hmm. inches long twenty two inches long 
lightweight compared to Walkwood standards, but we'll give it to him. Really? Yeah. We're the, talking. Uh, the Hubbard babies are all heavyweights too. How bit? How heavy is a has a Hubbard baby? Well, see now, uh, my my brother mm-hmm. tipped the scales at nine pounds. I was nine and a half, and my mm-hmm. sister uh, was a, a healthy ten pounds seven ounces. Uh, still weak sauce, Aaron. <laughs> really. 12 pounds, 5 ounces, Eric oh my God! dropped into this planet with a thud. Yes, you did. Yes, I did. Your mom <laughs> gave birth to a butterball turkey. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, wow. so I'm still I'm still rocking. When I was born, they had me in the delivery in that, you know, the room, the viewing room, the zoo right. thing. Right. And uh, everybody was like, yeah, looks like the Seahawks got a new linebacker. <laughs> but... Uh. Uh, but anyway, we're very happy for Jesse, and hopefully he'll be back on the podcast at some point in his life. But until then, we got plenty of great guest hosts lined up, um, starting with you, Aaron. So uh, I guess I guess now it's time for what are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking the uh, famous Bell's Two-Hearted Ale mm. uh, out of Bell's Brewery out of Comstock, Michigan. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Indian Pale yeah. Ale. Well suited for adventurous trips to the Upper Peninsula, American malts and enormous hop additions give this beer a crisp finish and an incredibly floral hop aroma. Excellent. And it is by far my favorite IPA. The, see, I, I when you came over here for PAX and we, mm-hmm. you brought a ton of beer with you, uh, so much so that we couldn't even drink it all. Right. And, uh, and I think that the Midwest Coast is kind of like a mysterious realm because out here in the Northwest, it's a great it's a great beer mecca. But there, every every brewery is kind of established now. There are these small, uh, there are these small breweries that have you know they have this legacy. But it seems like uh, the Midwest Coast is a little bit of the wild west of craft beer right now, and I'm I'm digging it. Yeah, you guys have to come out here because they yeah. we've got some crazy stuff. Maybe Gen Con next year. I'm telling you. Well, this, this week right I'm, here. Yeah, this week I'm drinking a hot toddy. <laughs> Do you uh, ran out of beer? Eh, ran out of beer. Uh, do you know what the hot toddy consists of? I, I, I don't know. I feel like there's even if I did, there'd be regional differences. I think it's uh, it's 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 whiskey. Oh. Uh, bourbon, bourbon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and then uh, tea, and lemon, and a hint of lemon, and then some honey. So wow, so you're gonna ready to stave off a sore throat in addition to exactly uh, getting well, your drink on. Well, Lydia's sick, so uh, you know we gotta we gotta help her out and get drunk. Yeah. And we got to kill two birds with one stone. That should do it. Yeah. So, uh, so Aaron, I want to move on to some excellent listener feedback we got this week. I can't wait. Uh, it, and I'm excited about this because, uh, believe it or not, it actually includes uh, includes you. And I, I have to give a shout out to Roger Dotsy because he is... Probably he's become he's become a fervent fan of of the uh, of the personal arrogance podcast. But uh, obviously, like many of our listeners, came to us through the Bald Move Network when we joined, uh, which we're super stoked about. It and uh, I just want to read a little bit. Of this he says, I had known for many months that Aaron Hubbard was my favorite podcaster. I, like many others, got way into Game of Thrones on HBO and was looking for a solid GOT cast. I found The Night's Watch, smart, witty, funny, insightful. Then I found The Watching Dead. Aaron was back giving me some good indie insight. About a month ago, I decided to pursue the Bald Move site, and lo and behold, there's a new podcast. Hmm, I thought, no Aaron yet. Don't know how I feel about that, but that tagline about bridging the gap between two of my favorite cultures had me intrigued. Thought I'd give it a listen, so I... 
boot it up. Edward Norton is a Muppet Baby. Excellent episode, and I'm glad I did. So <laughs> this one goes out to you, Roger Dotsey. And, and Roger, he, he uh, sent us an email. There's a bunch of talking points in it, and we will get back to you eventually, Robert. He also says that... Uh, that he uh, he wants to get in touch with the show fairly regularly, so please do check in. Um, but Robert also uh, decided to give us a call, so I want to play his voicemail, and he's got a question for us. Hopefully we can give him some insight. So I'm going to play that right now. Spin it. Hey, guys. Uh, this is Roger Dotsie from Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, I'd like your help with something. I have a lovely wife. She's wonderful. She's absolutely great. She's really cool, too. She watches The Walking Dead with me. She loves horror movies. She likes, she'll play Wii with me every once in a while. But the problem is, is she's just not nearly as nerdy as I am. And I don't know if I get my dose of nerdage as much as I would like. Um, the main aspect that of this crossover is the board games. I had no idea this world of board games that you guys have. Um, and I, basically listening to your cast, I I thought more board games were Risk, Monopoly, Trivial Pursuit, yada, yada, yada. I didn't realize that there were this whole trove of board games. These Settlers of Catan, this Arkham Horror, all this stuff sounds so fascinating. But I don't know if my wife is nerdy enough. So, or my friends. So I just wanted to see what you recommended. If there's any fun board games that I can get into that I can maybe get my non-nerdy wife into or a way that I can convince her to play some of the nerdy type board games. Anyway, just wanted to see what y'all thought. And I really appreciate you doing this every week. And uh, have a good one. Bye. Bye, Roger. Thanks for giving us a call. What do you think, Aaron? Uh, I think he should try withholding sex. Oh, geez. Until she decides, you know, until she tries that first board game. Um, Aaron, I don't know if that works both ways. Really? The list of thing is... No, is... What, that, that's why I have been so unsuccessful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, man. I think you guys made a lot of solid suggestions uh, on that yeah. cast that you, uh, that you, that you talked about board games. I mean, mm-hmm. I will have to second uh, Carcassonne. Carcassonne is great. Carcassonne is great. I think we we actually had a, a Facebook follower, uh, one of our Facebook followers, brought the same question up as to how do you kind of get in the board games, and uh, and there's a there's there's a few that that I would really recommend. Carcassonne is one of them. Sellers of Catan is another one. Um, uh, Citadels I think is a great board game. It takes a little bit to understand it, but it's a really good intro board game. Um, probably leaning a little more toward the nerdy side, but another one I can't recommend enough is Bang. I was about to say Bang. If you have like a mixed group, yeah, five to six to seven friends, it's a great time because mm-hmm. it's got a neat flavor. It's like a Wild West spaghetti western flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got like you know some some uh, buddy fucking, which mm-hmm. is also a, a basis a good time. Plus, you get to say you're banging people all the time, right? I bang, you, always, I bang you. Always puts a smile on my face. Always puts a smile on your face, and I would I would recommend uh, only getting the base set of Bing. There are expansions, but you really only need the base set, which you can get for less than you can get it for around ten bucks online. I think. Yeah. Um, that was that was Greg Ross, one of our listeners, wrote in about board game recommendations. I'd also uh, throw in there Zuloretto. I don't know if you played Z- Zuloretto, um, Aaron. I have not. But that's a great game. It's got a great theme, and also Ticket to Ride is 
it's I, I think Ticket to Ride is, is very similar to those base board games that you're talking about with a little more strategy. Yes. Um, but, I'll go so far as to recommend skip the American version, get the European version. Yeah. Yeah, Ticket to Ride Europe is really good. Um, and then you can get into stuff. I know that Jordy is or Jordy Jesse has been really uh, him him and Tasha have been really getting into Agricola, which is Ooh. a great game. It's a great game, but yeah. boy, it's a lot. Lot though. So so start on those starters. Start on your Cellars Catan, your Citadels, your Carcassonne, your your Bang. Uh, Power Grid's also good. Ticket to Ride's really good. And then get into your more advanced games, which are your Agricola. Puerto Rico's a great game, but it's also very advanced. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, right. And then actually, if you're going to do Puerto Rico, I'd say ra- try Race for the Galaxy. Yeah. I haven't played that game. It's it's like a streamlined version of Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. but it maintains a lot of the same mechanics, and yes. it's like also got a science fiction space theme. So that's pretty legit. You know, you're not you're not trading slaves mm-hmm. and uh, trafficking in human misery like in Puerto Rico. <laughs> that's true. That is part of the game. Um, and then there's also <laughs> Battlestar Galactica. I put that on more of the advanced side. Yes, um, but I know you're a big fan of Battlestar. I am the board I'm, game. That's one of my big regrets. We didn't get to play it in Seattle. Yeah, and and then and then if you get it, Battlestar is is a really fun game that you don't need to know anything about the TV show to play. But True, then once, I do not. <laughs> once, but once you get into that, then you can use that as a nerd avenue. Is if it's like, hey, you love this board game, why don't you try watching Battlestar Galactica with me? Because it's on Netflix. Agreed. Then Agreed. You, then you're really getting into some stuff. Then you started along the path. Oh yeah. So hopefully we haven't led you astray, but. Um, but yeah, and this goes out for all of our listeners. This is like the number one feedback we get uh, is that people don't know what we're talking about when we talk about board games. We love board games. And all of these board games, Sozakatan, Citadels, Power Grid, Zularetto, Bang, Ticket to Ride, Agricola, Puerto Rico, they're all great games. You should get out there and try them because then you'll actually understand what we talk about. You'll have more fun listening. It, and, be- and, and I owe my board gaming renaissance entirely to you, gentlemen, because well, I was of the same opinion of uh, Robert there that mm-hmm. – you know, it's all risk and access and allies and monopoly and boring ass games. Right. And if that's what your experience with board games are, you really need to spend thirty bucks on Amazon and get Carcassonne and Bang and blow your mind. There you go. Uh, I also just want to quickly uh, we got another report from Ollie James out in England. Uh, so I have to read this in his voice. Hey guys, thanks for reading my email out last week's show. I hadn't, I hadn't heard a single thing about the NFL coming to London. But have you guys heard about the big news in the UK? A celebrity called Sir Jimmy Seville died last year as a national treasure. He was a children's TV show presenter, and it has come out to be a pedophile. And there's like 200 cases of people saying that Jimmy abused them. That's what's going on in the UK. Thanks, That's Ollie. That's hideously depressing. You that guys should have stuck with the Olympics. Yeah, that is hideously depressing. It's uh, I mean, we don't need to get completely into this, but I mean, it's very similar. Be, can you imagine that'd be like if, or like Mister Rogers, mm-hmm. you found out he was a pedo, or well, Captain I, Kangaroo. I feel, I think that uh, Jimmy Savile is more like a like a like a Dick Clark type of guy. Oh, I so think. it wouldn't be that bad. Well, it's more. He's kind of like a national treasure. I heard about it on NPR a little bit, but he basically was like the great the great guy from the BBC, and the BBC is kind of because it's actually run by the British government. So there's uh. weird stuff going on there. It's I think it's very similar to kind of the tarnishing of the Penn State football program by we have our own we have our own pedophile cases over here in the U.S. Oh yeah. So, uh, so yeah, thanks for bringing the cast down, Ollie, and uh, thanks for your report <laughs> from London. And uh, please feel free to email us anytime and just let us know what's going on in the UK. We'd love to have a UK show. 
Um, so I think that's I think that's good. I think we need to move on to our little tiny mat roll off. Um, just want to let people know if you want to give us a call, uh, please do at three six zero three six two zero zero two four. Aaron, do you have your die ready? I do. Now it's a spin down die, so it's not tournament legal. Oh, geez. but I think it'll be okay. Okay, we'll we'll try it. All right, so we're just gonna roll twenty sided dice. Who gets to talk first? And here we go. I rolled. Oh. I rolled a ten. I rolled a four. Oh, all right. I get to go ten, first. Ten four, good buddy. Although I nicely done. Uh, there, <laughs> I there's uh there's a little bit of collusion this week though, because I think each of us would be remiss if we overlooked probably one of the biggest nerd topics to come up in a very very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is Disney buying Lucasfilm. Oh yeah. Uh, so much to talk about with this, Aaron. Um. So Disney bought Lucasfilm for I think four like four and a half billion dollars or something, um, yep. and they announced that uh, in 2015 Star Wars Episode Seven will be released, and there'll be a new Star Wars film every two to three years after that. That's uh, staggering. Why? I mean, because I had given up. Yeah. The dream that there would ever be. I mean, I, I was expecting maybe some television shows. Maybe mm-hmm. when I was an old man and George Lucas is dead and the rights had expired and his kids had squandered all the money and they're <laughs> desperate looking to cash in. Yeah. We would get another Star Wars. But to think that, you know, that it's and it's going to be hitting right in my, you know, my son's going to be right prime. He's going to be like nine years old when that comes out. Oh, I'm geez. super excited. I am. I'm super stoked, man. I. I think that this is. There are a lot of people who are poo-pooing this and and uh, saying it's. Well, how why do they have to do this? Why, I I I just think that this is a great move by everyone involved. Yeah, how can you poo-poo this? I yeah. mean, Star Wars is as low as it can get right now. <laughs> exactly. So it's like if how they can't fuck it up anymore. And this is this. <laughs> this is the same house that has has take has giving. Mm-hmm. A serious director and serious, uh, you know, a history and yep. uh, Hollywood talent to a goddamn uh, theme ride. Right. So you're telling me they can't get a bunch of artists who are passionate about Star Wars? Mm-hmm. Come on. And who isn't? I mean, Star Wars is so referential uh, within movie culture, within pop culture. This is one thing that George Lucas has done right is mm-hmm. he's kind of let a lot of copyright infringe e stuff slide in terms of because he's already it's such a bankroll dude he makes tons yeah. of money off the merchandise and off the movies uh so you know there's a lot of fan films for star wars there was like the chad vader web series which i loved uh there's a lot it's something that he's done really right is let the fans embrace this so you see star wars pop up and things like you know kevin smith's clerks one of the most memorable parts of that is when they talk about the contract workers in return of the jedi and the death star indeed and uh and also edgar wright in his space series there was a lot of star wars references in that um and the list goes on and on um so i i think i want to start this conversation they're going to be making this movie uh in 2000 it's going to be released in 2015 they're passing the reins on to a new creative team and mind you this is disney so they i trust them because what they've done with the marvel universe since taking it over it's they've they've just knocked home runs out of the park i don't know if you sure. agree with that i mean putting josh josh whedon in charge of the avengers was a great idea kenneth mm-hmm. Branagh on thor was a great idea john favreau directing iron man was a great idea they're doing a really good job with this. Um, 
So I don't know if you – I've got some ideas, but I don't know if you have any ideas who you think you would like to see lead this, this new Star Wars trilogy. Um, I would like to see director Brad Bird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he would be uh, an awesome person because I think he's, he's passionate about geek subjects. I mean, mm-hmm. he's the man behind uh, The Incredibles. Right. Uh, the man behind Up. Uh, mm-hmm. He actually just directed a live-action one uh, this year, yeah. uh, the new Mission Impossible. Right, Mission Impossible Four: Ghost Protocol, which was a pretty damn good movie. You turn this guy loose on Star Wars, yeah. watch out. Yeah, and I think I think Brad Bird's really good, um, uh, and you know he's he's worked with Pixar. He also did The Iron Giant, I think, one of my favorites, which is an excellent movie. Um, and and like I said, he's he's kind of on he's kind of on on the payroll a little bit with Disney. He's on, he's on the Disney payroll. Right. That's fair to say. Because he's, he's straight out of Pixar. Um, and there's actually some some rumors floating around. There's this big sci-fi project. It's rumored to be a, a multi-hundreds of millions of dollars project, a tentpole movie um, called 1952, which is being developed by Brad Bird and Damon Lindelof, who, did, you know, who worked on Lost and is kind of one of J.J. Abrams' offspring. And when I heard about this, these two guys were two people that immediately came to mind because, I mean, I would love to see J.J. Abrams do this, but he's doing Star Trek. You can't have the guy doing Star Trek do Star Wars. That's no, I would, I would take to the streets if that were to happen. Right. I, it, it, the nerds' heads would explode, right? You, you got you to take a stand, and, and you, you can like them both, but you have to prefer one or the other. Right, right. Um, so that's not going to happen. But Damon Lindelof is kind of his offspring. So... Uh, so so there's this there was a speculation that this this secret project called 1952, which uh, started you know is going in the works earlier earlier in 2011, it was actually Star Wars Episode Seven and that and that these two guys were already working on it. Those rumors have been debunked, but I still think this is the type of team you'd want to put together. Damon Lindelof and Brad Bird would be a great combo. Agreed. Um, you know uh, another uh, director that I think would be good. His name's been brought up, and I think he might he might get the billing, especially if Brad Bird's working on this 1952 project. Is Andrew Stanton, who also came out of Pixar, um, he directed John Carter earlier this year, which I've heard was not if you get over the hype and all that was not a bad movie. It wasn't that bad. I I watched it. Um, there were some ridiculous parts of it, but it's about a cowboy who goes to Mars, and there's a bunch of aliens there. Sure. So you're starting off. It's a little. You're starting off a little uh, behind in in that whole thing, but but uh, but Andrew Stanton, you know, he wrote uh, Toy Story three. Uh, he's behind Wally. He's behind Finding Nemo. He's behind Monsters Incorporated. He's behind A Bug's Life. Um, so he's also kind of on the Disney. He's definitely on the Disney payroll, um, and he could take on a giant project like this. I think you probably want to bring in other writers, but I think that he could definitely helm that. And I think he probably learned some stuff on John Carter and Mars that can be applied. So I think Brad Bird and Andrew Stanton are kind of the two spot-on guys that you'd think off right off the bat. Um, I think that you can immediately dismiss people uh, like Guillermo del Toro. Probably not going to happen. I wouldn't like to see his take on it, too. He, yeah, I, you wouldn't want to see it as a Guillermo del Toro movie. Yeah, I'd like to see. I'd, I'd like to see him spin it off in a different direction. But for your main Star Wars canon, I don't think he'd be a good fit. His look and feel. Yeah, and then you know, uh, Peter Jackson's another name that kind of came up. Um, Kat, uh, what's her name? I think her name's Kathleen Kennedy or Catherine Kennedy is the person who took over LucasArts. 
Mm-hmm. And she's she's produced a ton of Steven Spielberg movies. Mm-hmm. So possibly you could see Steven Spielberg stepping in, but I don't think he would want to do that, especially with kind of what happened with Indiana Jones 4. And honestly, I think his time has come and gone too. I don't I don't really want any Lucasy Spielbergy fingers on these projects. Right. They have lost in my mind what it means to be Indiana Jones and what it means to be Star Wars. Absolutely. And so from that perspective, I think you kind of need somebody a little fresher, somebody who hasn't done as many um as many movies maybe uh and maybe get some guidance from some people so like i mentioned before kevin smith edgar wright both have had referential works to star wars within their own works i don't think edgar wright's the right person for this um and i obviously don't think kevin smith should do it i wouldn't mind oh god no no although i wouldn't mind kevin smith kind of being in on the script a little bit and I wouldn't mind seeing him take another, like, in my mind, there's lots of Star Wars properties here. Right. There's the main canon branch. Right. And there's room for Kevin Smith to play on in the, the suburbs, but I don't want him anywhere near the main spotlight. Right. Um, and, I, and I just also want to write off Christopher Nolan. I don't think this is his realm. I think he's taking over DC. Yeah. We don't need to see it, Christopher Nolan. Them. I think that there are a couple directors that are really in there that I think would be perfect. And my number one choice, I know you're sitting on the edge of your seat, is Woody Allen. No, I'm just joking. My number (laughs) one choice is Joe Cornish, who directed Attack the Block. I've not seen that. Oh, my God. Hey, Ron. I know. I'm sorry. Attack the Block is my favorite movie of the last decade. It might be. It's like in my top five. Well, that's not really true. Really? Attack the Block is in my top five movies of all time. Really? It's in there with Back to the Future. It's in there with The Big Lebowski. It's like right in there wow i cannot get enough of this movie plus uh attack the block a lot of practical effects all the aliens in that movie were guys in suits that's true but they made it look cool they didn't look like guys in suits but they were guys in suits and i think we need to get back to practical effects obviously Uh, i think i I think a healthy mix of both you can't go exclusively digital that's one of the things that that killed the soul of the the star wars prequel trilogy absolutely i I, nobody watches the original star wars movie and they're like oh chewbacca's totally a guy in a suit Mm -hmm. i'm like that suit's not even good no it's not even a good suit in fact the improved chewbacca in the (laughs) prequels looked like ass i thought he looked terrible yeah um so Joe Cornish is at the top of my list, and then number two would be Ryan Johnson, who just directed Looper. Uh, uh. Huge buzz coming off of Ryan Johnson. He's got an indie cred um, that stretches back. His first film was Brick. A lot of people were like Brick. I didn't really like it. Um, he's directed a couple episodes of Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. Um, he did The Brothers Bloom, but really Looper was kind of his breakout movie, and I think he's ready. I think that he would also be really good. I think you need somebody who's kind of on the verge, who's done a couple of things, uh, kind of like what they did with uh, with uh, with uh, X Men First Class. Um, I can't remember who the director was of that, but it was it's kind of along those lines. You need somebody who's who's up and coming and wants to make this their own and create this world themselves. Who was the guy that he did the Usual Suspects and the new Superman? Uh, are you talking about which one? The one that did the first X Men. Well, I think that was Matthew. Well, Matthew Vaughn directed X Men First Class. Oh, that's what you're the one that you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, but the original X Men. I can bring this up real fast. Uh, he was Brian Singer. Yes, who I've X-Men. heard is coming back to do yeah, another X Men. He's, he's doing the next X Men movie after he crapped out on Superman, which I yep. I I could I could stand another uh, Brian Singer X Men. 
Yeah, I think so too. I mean, X Men Three was terrible, but X Men One and Two were awesome. In, indeed. So, so yeah, th- those are my. This Joe Cornish is my number one choice. I think he'd be awesome. I think Ryan Johnson would also be awesome. Do you have anybody else? Do you think? Uh, no. Like I said, I think you eliminated all the popular fanboy stuff, and mm-hmm. and uh, I can't think. You know. Anybody but Brad Bird. Yeah. Well, I mean, and like I said, I don't think Edgar Wright is the right person for this, but I would love to see him on a script. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would love to see, I would actually love to see Kevin Smith on a script. Kevin Smith's Superman movie was great. Kevin Smith knows the material and he's not going to fuck it up. And, you know, if you've got an editor to curb his worst impulses, the man is a master of dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. Which has traditionally been one of the weaknesses of Star Wars. Oh, my God. That's the one thing you don't want is like ton of dialogue, no action. Right. You want fun action and dialogue that moves the story along. Now, uh, now, now we come to the next part, which is the episode seven story. Obviously, I'm not going to ask you to come up with the story off the top of your head. Oh, but... I probably could. <laughs> <laughs> Are there characters from the original trilogy that you want to see that you have to see in episode seven? You know. I don't know because how much how how much of the EU are you familiar with the expanded universe? Um, uh, minimal. Okay. Minimal. Because I I was going to take it, and this is your topic, so I'll stay away from it. Um, unless they're going to do one of the EU kind of storylines that are already out there, mm-hmm. my I would prefer them to go away from the original uh, prequel and uh, original trilogy characters, except for maybe. Uh, R2-D2 and C-3PO. I think yeah. that it would be sacrilege for those droids not to be in a Star Wars movie. Well, they are the unofficial narrators and the comic relief in the original trilogy. Yes. And they, they are they're the first characters that you see in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's something they got away from in the prequels. And these just it doesn't need to be an epic story. That's the thing. Like, Star Wars is not an epic story. The the original Star Wars New Hope is not an epic story. It's a very straightforward story that's fun, compact, action-packed, um, and it's a rip-roaring ride. That's what you All want right, Star Wars that. to be. You don't want it to be some kind of... That's what the prequels were, this like, epic, sweeping story that everybody knew the ending to. Mm-hmm. Like These need to be fun, action-packed movies. That's another one I, I was thinking it was Gore Bravinsky who did Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm. He's also in Disney's pocket, and I think he you got, you have to see him as a front runner, especially with the Lone Ranger coming out, which could be a huge box office smash next year. And I like him because he brings a lot of artisans to his craft, just like Peter mm-hmm. Jackson. Yep. You know, you want someone that's sweating the fact that uh, the Rohirrim wouldn't have welded armor; they'd have riveted armor because they're based on Viking <laughs> Norse. I mean, you want someone yeah. that's that into the the fictional culture that they're going to fight for minor details like that. Mm-hmm. So the big picture stuff is just going to click, right? Right. And uh, I think, like I said, if they can keep these things compact, fun. Star Trek did a great job with that. AJ JJ Abrams did a great job with Star Trek in that regard. It was a rip roaring fun movie. Uh, and I can't wait for the next one. And mm-hmm. if they can do anything like that with Star Wars, I think that they'll they'll hit a home run. Are there any characters that you'd like to see come back? Or because personally, uh, I want outside see... of the droids, man. Not, yeah. not again, unless they're going to do one of the classic EU storylines mm-hmm. like the Thrawn trilogy or you know, mess with the Yuzung Vong. Um, nah, I can't think of you know even Chewbacca. I thought he felt very forced in the prequels. It gave me a bit, very forced. bad taste in my mouth. I mean, that was a problem with the prequels. Boba Fett was forced in the prequels. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that every stormtrooper is a clone of Boba Fett is the weirdest thing ever. It really is. Uh, 
I so I think that they kind of killed Boba Fett. I know that he survives the Sarlacc pit, but why don't we just leave him there for the for the for the next movies? Um, sure. I would kind of like to see like minor characters like Lando pop up, hmm. and I would love to see cameos. Like, why not set it like three, four decades later and have Han Solo in there and have Harrison Ford do a little cameo? Of course, yeah. I think that's if if you're going to do it, that's right. the way to go. And and I think the the Yuzan, the Yuzan or Yuzan Vong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the dark Jedi uh, stuff is would be the way to go because those are set like 30 years after the original trilogy. And, you know, uh, John Hamill, uh-huh. or, sorry, Mark, Mark Hamill, Hamill yeah. and Harrison Ford, yeah. they're all the perfect age to play that. Is that a, so is that the one where like there's a planet destroying plant army yeah. thing? Yeah, kind of like an organic, uh, non technological using uh, mm-hmm. superpower that's also immune to the force. Oh, so it's kind of like uh, the flood in Halo. Yeah, and it's it's got some really dark beats. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, for example, the climax of the first movie, if they followed it, Chewbacca would actually die. Oh, geez. Spoil- spoiler alert. <laughs> well, I mean, that's... Um, but can't, can you imagine how dark that would be? Yeah, that would be pretty rough. And and, that... and that's what the one thing we also have to realize is that Star Wars movies are kids' movies. I don't know that I believe that. They are, dude. I think they should be kid friendly, but I was terrified, pants shitting, ter- <laughs> terrified of Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, that's true. And like the whole thing, like when when Luke is in the ice cave and he's gonna get eaten, that was terrifying. I mean, yeah, I was. I, I thought the Empire Strikes Back was scary as a six year old. I mean, yeah. Luke got his hand cut off. The I know. Bad I, guys got their asses kicked. I, I couldn't even watch it when his hand got cut off when I was a little kid. Uh, and like you said, the Wampa man. Yes. There's this guy just you know m- mowing down on a leftover tauntaun and luke's helpless <laughs> plus can we uh oh yeah and there's there's the part where han cuts open the tauntaun oh, and the and, guts spill yeah, out the guts spill out and can yeah. we can we this is often overlooked but people always overlook the scene where luke totally hallucinates darth vader on dagobah oh yeah and it, and he cuts off his head and his mask falls off and it's luke's face inside I mean, I, I'm not saying the kids can't handle that, but that's the thing. Like, I resent people saying, "Oh, it's got to be a kids movie." Bullshit. Yeah. It can be a, an adult movie that kids can enjoy. I I think you're right, Aaron. And vice versa. I think you're right. Do you have anything else to talk about this? Uh, I have a ton. Okay. Um, so a lot of the other ideas in the expanded universe, uh, they took um a couple of novels in a horror realm. Uh-huh. Uh, where they had like zombie stormtroopers. Uh-huh. Uh, do you think zombies are too played out now, or could they actually have a horror genre? I'm not a big of... fan of zombie crossovers. Really? I like zombies by themselves in their own universe. Uh, uh-huh. I just watched Cabin in the Woods. I love uh-huh. that movie. Uh, it's got zombies in it in a real good way. Uh, but zombie crossovers, I'm not a big fan of. Okay, how about this? Like, kind of like a DOS boot. Uh, uh-huh. something that focuses on like yeah. Crix Medine or mm-hmm. one of some of the other noble imperial officers or units that you know were loyal to the empire mm-hmm. uh, and saw the rebels as a terrorist band, but we kind of get that perspective of the ones that you know uh, they're not really bad or evil. Think of yeah. like uh, Tom Cruise from the Valkyrie movie uh-huh. or the the captain from Das Boot. They're just soldiers do, right. doing their order, trying to protect their their friends and uh, family and loved ones from from the rebels. Do you think that? You know, a series, maybe a television series or a mm-hmm. HBO miniseries. You think that would uh, play? I would love that. I would love a. I would love a Star Wars naval centric military show, and you got to get Admiral Akbar in there. 
<laughs> Akbar is one of my faves. Um, I also would like to see like you know some more um, it's a study you know because I, I guess I find the Imperials the more fascinating characters, uh-huh. and I would love to see. Uh, you know, some kind of in the trenches perspective of when the clone troopers were running out and they started conscripting, like, you know, just normal people for stormtroopers. What, you know, like the clone troopers thought of that. Like, uh, yeah. I'm thinking it's like the episode of Band of Brothers called The Replacements. You know, there had to be a lot of, uh, you know, bumpy roads that go from an all clone that's essentially everyone's the same person, the same heritage. Right. The same outlook to mm-hmm. now these guys are just, you know, you, you, you get your head shaved and you're in a piece of white armor and you call yourself a stormtrooper now. Yeah. I, I think that's pretty good. I, I love the idea. I, I know I talked about not having Boba Fett in the movie, but I think it would be cool if it was 30 years in the future that like Boba Fett comes in, but you like don't know it's Boba Fett because it's just some old grizzled like veteran dude and he's like in his 60s. And he ends up helping out, and then the big reveal is that he's actually Boba Fett. Something like that, that could be cool. Yeah, or like uh, you know, some more again, getting away from the main Star Wars canon, investigate the Mandalores, mm-hmm. uh, who who Boba Fett, I guess, was the leader of. Right. Um, see about their culture. Yeah. And, and and what they did off uh, bounty hunting and and skullduggering at the <laughs> edges of the galaxy. And then you could actually have that big elephant creature that's on their patches. Yeah, like that crazy tusked creature that's on their their emblem. That'd be uh, neat. You, you know, the other thing about Disney acquiring Lucasfilm is they also got Lucas Arts. That's true. And I'm thinking of all the classic uh, Scum Engine video games like mm-hmm. Full Throttle, Sam and Max, Monkey Island. Yep. Um, how awesome would it be to see movies of those? Yeah, Dave. I mean, they kind of they literally write themselves. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, uh, they they released a report that they're not really. They did. They did acquire that, but they're not moving forward with any new projects, um, which pumps me out because I love Star Wars Battlefront, and I think Battlefront Three needs to come out and be a first-person shooter Star Wars game that is awesome. Like, please, somebody do that. Um, but I, I am a big fan of those point-and-click adventures from the mid '90s. And I'm Huge thinking, turn Pixar loose on a hard PG-13 version of Sam and Max. Oh my God, I love Sam and Max. That would be so hilarious. I am so happy that you know what Sam and Max is. I try to talk about Sam and Max to people, and they have no idea what it is. The original Sam and Max are some of the funniest belly laughs I've yeah. ever had on anything. Sam and Max hit the road, dude. That yeah. is a great game. That's kind of the first full game that I played all the way through when I was like in third grade. I love that game. Stoked. So, and then you know, speaking of other properties that they are being strangely mum about, they also acquired the rights to Indiana Jones. Yeah, there is some entanglement with Paramount, but nothing yeah. that a quarter billion dollars probably could solve. And th- I wonder if they could resurrect uh, that series. Yeah, th- they've they've announced that they're not really worried about that right now. They're worried about Star Wars. Sure, um, but I'm talking. Th- this is this is going to be. You got a vision 10, 20, 15, yeah. 20 years down yeah. and, you know, start over the brand, make Indiana Jones, uh, you know, uh, uh, George Lucas pitched to Steven Spielberg the mm-hmm. idea of Indiana Jones because famously they were both exhausted after I think Lucas was filmed at just got done filming Empire and Spielberg had just got done releasing Jaws and they went to a, on a family vacation to Hawaii and it was just them two building sandcastles on the beach. <laughs> 
<laughs> and Lucas, I'm not making this up. Lucas asked Spielberg, what's he going to do next? And he's like, you know what? I've always wanted to direct a 007, a James Bond mm-hmm. movie. And Lucas yep. said, I got something even better. It's called Indiana Jones. Why not make Indiana Jones like, like uh, James, James Bond. Bond's every yeah. 10 years? You get some new dude and tell new adventures. I love the idea. I love it. Um, I don't know how you can do that and keep it historical, though. Well, I mean, he's, what do you mean? Because you can just can like keep Cause, telling. Cause that, that was a big problem is that like the, the, the Kingdom of the Crystal Stole was supposed to be like a 50s B movie. Like that's and Lucas they, is, they they fucked up by going away from the Nazis and the cult. They right. need they, they got the spirit destiny. Get out of the get out of the atomic era. Get back in the get back in World War Two. Yeah, or even go maybe even a little bit younger. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's lots of play space in the Indiana Jones timeline where you yeah. could have, you know, really cool stuff. Like right. Indiana, how how cool would an Indiana Jones mummy movie be? Yeah, that's a, that's what I was just thinking. Like King Tut type of thing. Yeah, yeah. It touches on your like last week's show about the movie monsters. You right. can, like satisfy both itches with mm. one awesome series. Yeah. Well, we're running a little long here, so I think we got to right. move on. But uh, we can obviously talk about this for the entire show. Of, of course, it's it's big nerd moves news, and it might come back up. Uh, if you have something, listener, that you want to talk about in terms of this big Star Wars Lucasfilm uh, Disney deal, please let us know. Email personalarrogance at gmail dot com. Tweet at us at Personal Podcast. Please give us a call. We love it when you call us, and we always put it on the cast. 360-362-0024. Best ways to get in touch with us. Um, and uh, and now we need to move on to some trivia. Are you excited for trivia, Aaron? I'm scared of trivia. All this, right. this this 84 edition is, is 84 or 87? I think it's 81. 81 is yeah. brutal. It like, is We brutal. get pop culture. It's just, phew. Yeah, I think we kind of officially veto pop culture. Okay, cool. Uh... Oh, I rolled a six, Sports and Leisure. This is right up our alley, Aaron. All right. Okay, here we go. Your question. Here we go. Please play along at home. What is the lowest-ranking suit in Bridge? Uh, Spade? I'm going to go Club. It's Clubs. All right. All right. This one's I'd for have me. to call my grandma to ask her that question. <laughs> this one's for me. Who played for the Chicago Bears, Houston Oilers, and Oakland Raiders in a 26-year pro football career? I'm going to say Jim Brown. Uh, I'm going to say Dick Butkus. George Blanda. All right, Aaron, this one's for you. I'm up one nothing. Here you go. What playing card symbolizes death? The Jack of Spades. I'm going to stick with Spades here. All right. I'm going to go with the King of Hearts. The Ace of Spades. The Ace of uh, Spades. Well, it makes sense because, you know, the Undertaker's got, or the uh, Grave Diggers got the spade. That's true. Taking the under. And he's really good at spading. He's the Ace he of Spades. He is. Uh, all right. Aaron, you need, the, you need this one to win. I want King of Hearts because it's a Suicide King. Mm. But All right. Here we go. Uh, I get to answer first, but you need the steal to tie. Here we go. Who is the victim of the murder in the game of Clue? I know it's Mr. I think it's Mr. Black. It's Mr. Body. Mr. Body. You got it. Boom. He's the one who's not a color. Yes, because he's a corpse. (laughs) All right. So it's a geography tiebreaker. The person who is geographically closest to the answer wins. Uh, Aaron, you get to answer first. 
Where are the Nazca lines, the N-A-Z-C-A lines, the Nazca lines? That would be in South America. South America? I'm going to go with Argentina. Peru. Uh, Well, you're probably closer because I just took the whole continent, right? Yeah. I that's uh, let's let's do one more i totally All cheated right. on that one here we go it's so much fun i know what u.s state hosts the world champion chili cook-off every fall <laughs> you get this is, my, is it mine i'm yeah. gonna say springfield illinois i'm gonna go with indiana texas Ooh. Uh, i actually have no idea who's closest well i think that i'm gonna give it to you because i know illinois illinois dips lower than indiana Geographically. Ah. All right, I'll take it. All right, cool. <laughs> you win. Great job. Now now you get to talk because you won the roll off. Oh, is that how this works? Yeah. All right. So I have a little I have a little uh, topic that I want to talk about. It's the realm of sports ethics. Okay. So I've got a couple of uh, things uh, topics I want to talk about. First off is when is it acceptable to root for your team to fail? Now, some background on that is like last year we had the famous uh, "suck for luck" campaign for right. the Colts. Mm-hmm. Peyton Manning was hurt. Yep. Uh, the future looked grim. An yep. zero and sixteen season was on the line. The only thing we took solace in is that we had the we could potentially get the number one pick of the draft. So we were actively rooting for our team to fail so that right. we could later succeed. Yeah, and actually, for the Seahawks were in that boat for a while. We were in the yeah. suck for luck for like the first four games of the season. We ended seven and nine, which is mediocreville but and that's what i was going to say because yeah. now we have luck right but unlike peyton manning peyton manning came in we had Tarek glenn we had jeff saturday we had marvin harrison he uh-huh. still went three and 13 right kind of sucked and then we got edger and james and we came back fully loaded for a decade of excellence uh the worst thing in the world mm-hmm. is to have like an eight and eight nine seventeen because you're in that no man's land right. where you're not really succeeding in the playoffs but you're not getting those high draft picks should right. i be rooting for a four and twelve season from here on out, would that be would that be bad of me as a fan to root against my team for their long term strategic success? Well, let me let me speak from a Mariners fan. Okay, uh, there was a there's a pretty famous uh, pitcher named Steven Strasburg. Uh-huh. Uh Came from San Diego State. Uh, came on to the Nationals. Instantly became their ace at, right out of college. Um, blew up his elbow. Injured. Not notwithstanding, a great pitcher. Uh, the Mariners that season were were competing with the Nationals for worst uh, worst record in the league. Um, going into the last series of the season, they were tied. The Mariners won the last series against the Oakland A's. They won two of the three games, giving themselves a better record than the Nationals and totally omitting Steven Strasburg from coming on the roster. Instead, they got Dustin Ackley, who has done zilch so far. Um, while Strasburg was a huge part of the Nationals making it to the playoffs this year. Mm-hmm. Do I wish that the Mariners lost that series, got swept, so that they get Steven Strasburg? Absolutely. So you're on board with me. It's acceptable to root for your team's mm-hmm. short-term demo- uh, failure right. for a long-term strategic success. Well, and, and I think in football it's a little worse because uh, – in football, you in baseball, the draft is the draft, but there are a lot of players, and and it, just because you have the number one pick doesn't mean that much. Football, I think the number one pick has a pretty big impact on the way that things shake out. Okay, uh, I think that Reggie Bush, actually Reggie Bush was number two pick, but he was he went to New Orleans. New Orleans offense became great. They win a Super Bowl. Uh, 
Peyton Manning was the number one overall pick, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Leaf is number two. <laughs> yeah. Was a Washington State fan. That's, <laughs> that's a MIG. Um, so I think, in, I think in football, it's a little lame to reward the worst team in the league with the number one draft pick. I think that instead of having the Pro Bowl every year, you have a uh, you just have like an All American team or like your Pro Bowl team, but you don't actually play the game. The game is the game between the two worst teams, and whoever wins the game gets the number one draft pick. I like it. It's like the opposite of the Hall of Fame game. Exactly. These yes. are the worst two teams. It's the Suck Bowl, and it happens the week before the Super Bowl, and the winner gets the number one draft pick. I. I fully endorse that idea. So guess what? We you should have make to it win. happen. You have to win now. You have to win to get the one, number one draft pick. So you root for the failure. You root to get into the bottom two. But then right. when it's all on the line, mm-hmm. you got to play for it. I like it. Yeah, and two crappy teams. It's always a fun game to watch. It's like, uh, oh, go ahead. You know, you got to love two crappy teams playing against each other. Either you're gonna have a ton of offense or no offense. There's gonna be a defensive stalwart battle. Yeah, mm. I love it. Uh, let me ask you this. So to what extent can you root against your rival team? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm pretty okay with obviously heckling the players. Right. Heckling fans that have the temerity to walk on into your home turf wearing uh, the rival colors. That's, mm-hmm. you know, all good uh, fun. Yeah. Uh, obviously, physical violence I can't condone. Right. Uh, what's your opinion of cheering when opposing players get injured? Is um, that out of bounds? I think it's the degree of the injury. Okay. Uh, like a, oh. like a, a, a blown ACL. Blown ACL is pretty rough. That's rough justice. I mean, obviously, like a neck paralysis. Yeah. You'd have to be a pretty sick sick puppy. Sick person. I, I, dislocated shoulder out for four to six weeks. Uh, dislocated shoulder is fine to me. Okay. Especially if it's... Turf toe is hilarious. I, I love <laughs> turf toe. Turf toe is the weirdest thing in the world. I can't admit, like nobody gets turf toe except for I don't even know what it is. Do well, the thing is, is, is I don't think anyone will ever get it because right. it used to be endemic to the astroturf, which yeah. was basically indoor outdoor carpeting over a half inch <laughs> of foam and concrete. Right. So I, you'd go to plant and <laughs> your foot would stick and someone would land on it wrong and bam, all of a sudden you got turf toe. But what is turf toe? Is it like a broken toe? I think it's like like a dislocated big toe. Ugh. Yeah. Well. Turf toe is hilarious, so always root for turf toe. Um, ACL, you think that's a borderline, or are you saying no, it's ACL's, definitely no? ACL is no good. I, I have, I actually have Mariners' firsthand experience from this. Okay, uh, I was at a game earlier this year. Felix Hernandez is pitching against the Yankees. It was one of Ichiro's last games in Seattle. He's playing for the Yankees. Um, a Rod gets up to bat. I don't know if you know about how much Seattle oh, yeah. people hate A Rod. Sure, because he was our guy, came up through our system, left Seattle to go to Texas on a $252 million contract. Every well, Seattle is here. the farm team for the rest of the league. Don't we, give me we that. We know that. Well, you know, Aaron, at least we have a team. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> uh, so everybody hates A-Rod. To this day, this this happened over 10 years ago. To this day, whenever A-Rod plays in Seattle, people boo him. Like, okay. people hate A-Rod. He's the most hated person in Seattle sports. Uh, Felix Hernandez runs a fastball in on him, hits his hand, breaks it. He's out four to six weeks. Mm-hmm. It was kind of great. All right, so you think that's definitely, you know, again, not a career ender. Not a career ender. It's four to not six something weeks. that's going to affect his long-term health. And the guy's a douche. It, it has to do with that, too. Like, if Drew Brees comes into Seattle and, blows his, and, and dislocates his shoulder, I'm not feeling good. I think Drew Brees is a good guy. Right. But if a guy that you hate comes in and, 
you know, uh, T.O. in his prime when he played for San Fran, playing in Seattle on Monday night, signed a football and then gave it to someone yeah. in the stands. If he dislocates his shoulder on the next play, I'm I'm pretty happy about that. Um, what about cheering when your own players get injured? Like Matt Castle? That's what recently happened in uh, Kansas City. Uh, if you're that, weird. like, you're yeah. that disillusioned with your franchise, the people that own it are morons, your head coach is lost, your quarterback is a clown, he gets hurt, and there's derisive cheering. Yeah. Is that crossing a boundary? It's totally crossing a boundary. Really? Yeah. First of all, why the hell are you at the game if you hate your team so much? That's a good question. Yeah. Why are you paying $60 for a ticket, $20 for a beer, $30 for parking if you hate your team so much? Well, let me ask you this. What's the fan, a true fan, diehard fan's right. choice when management is basically flinging poo at you week don't, after week? Don't buy tickets. This is this is the problem. <laughs> I, I, this but is that like, goes against the diehard credo, man. Watch they they want to be involved. Watch it on TV. Yeah, don't give true. them money. I mean, I guess they could move away. That'd be sucky. But uh, you need to vote with your dollars. This is America, people. How much time I got left? Because I got one. I got yeah, one more. Yeah, yeah, we could do a quick one here. All right. What are your thoughts on teams taking their colors and records with them when they move? Now, I mean, I love the Colts. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I bleed blue. I love the horseshoe. Mm-hmm. But it was a pretty raw deal us stealing them from Baltimore. Right. And, and now it seems like there's the modern, a, yeah. the modern area, you have to leave those back in the home city and then start a new crappy uh, team like the Titans or the Houston mm-hmm. Texans. Yeah. Uh, it, and, and this is another firsthand Seattle experience because the Sonics left. Went that's, to, one of the th- that's why I'm excited to talk to you about it. Well, they went a, to that's OKC. a fresh wound. But they 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 left the Sonics name and colors here in Seattle, which basically leaves you hope. It's like leaving right. hope in a town, right? But they what they did not do is they did not give us their champion the history of the Sonics. They it's a shared history. So if the Oklahoma oh. City Thunder want to put up a 1977 World Championship banner in their arena, I don't know if they've done that, but they can because. Uh, the Supersonics share that history with them, which is stupid. Yeah, I think that Ursay, Bob Ursay was a douchebag, the ones right. that stole the Colts from Baltimore. Yes. I think Jim Ursay is as classy as he, can, as he can in the situation because we pretend like we didn't have that championship. We don't have yeah. championship bangers hanging in right. the Lucas Oil Stadium. When we won our Super Bowl, we treated it like it was our first Super Bowl. Yeah, and that's the way you got to do it. I mean, I think so. Um, and there's a great. Have you watched the documentary, the the ESPN documentary, Thirty for Thirty, on the Colts marching band? I did. It's yeah, a good so one. They're still they they still are in Baltimore, even though they're Ravens. Yeah, and uh, it's a it's a great documentary, and it really kind of tells its story. And as as a person who, uh, you know, and and Seattle, you know, we got the arena deal done. We're probably going to get the Sacramento Kings, rip them away right. from Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Uh. As a Seattle sports fan, I'm pretty jaded to that, and I don't really care as long as we get the Sonics back because mm-hmm. we went through it. Um, but at the same time, it's, I feel sorry for the people in Sacramento, especially a town sure. that doesn't have a baseball team. They don't have a football team. They don't right. even have an MLS team. And, uh, they're in California. I don't feel that bad for them. Yeah, and they're Sacramento. I mean, they have multiple successful championship-winning <laughs> sports teams exactly. they can root for in-state. There so might be a couple them. of Giants fans in Sacramento is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that, like, if the Colts left, like, if we went to LA back in the '90s, I 
would have been furious. Mm-hmm. And if they took the horseshoe with them, I would yeah. have been pissing blood. I don't know if that's not, I don't yeah. I think that's where you just become a sports widow. Like oh, you're never yeah. going to fall in love with another team again. Well, that would hurt what, so bad. And guess what I've done with the NBA? I'm done. Yeah. I, I don't give a shit about the NBA. When the Sonics come back, are you going to get back in? Yeah, or absolutely. Is it still just too jaded? No, when they come back, I'll be fine with it. But they, there seems okay. to be this consensus that we that everybody in Seattle become Portland Trailblazers fans. That's like, no, that's like that's saying, dumb. yeah, that's like saying that if the Colts leave and everybody's a Patriots fan. Like that, that's our biggest basketball rival. And, and you now we're never supposed to be had fans because there's still a huge pocket of Bears fans and Bengals fans in Indiana. Because uh-huh. before the Colts came in '84 or '83, mm-hmm. that was that was you, you that was your choice. Yeah, but you, it's hard to go back and just be like, oh yeah, I'll just vote for the other regional person. You know, no. come on, no, 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 no. Especially like, dude, the Blazers are like. They're they're a number one rival, right? Seattle teams hate Portland teams, right? All right. Well, I the, mean, sports are weird. It's like we're basically <laughs> rooting for laundry, right? Yeah, I mean, you are. You're. It's it's like a bunch of people who actually aren't from the town you're from. Uh-huh. You have no personal connection to them, except that when they play, they have your the name of the city you live in on their chest. Yeah, and they have the right color fabric. <laughs> And if, exactly. and like like uh, the thunder now has the wrong color of fabric mm-hmm. and you hate you hate them. Yeah, but then there's so much bad blood. I mean, going to the finals last year, it's like. Well, the good news is it sounds like they've completely flushed what uh, their uh, chances to win a Western Conference, uh, let alone a uh, you know title uh, with this James Harden move. So you can at least oh, take some. You got KD, some delight man. in that. You got you got Kevin Durant. Yeah, the Durant but So what? <laughs> uh, yeah, and I mean with. The Lakers are, you know, Kobe, Steve they, Nash, uh, Pau Gasol, uh, Dwight Howard, and and, and uh, Metal World Peace are your starting five. Yeah, who's the one that murdered my my beloved franchise, the Pacers? <laughs> God, I Metal remember Metal World that Peace, day. my ass. <laughs> I will remember now. I will remember that day. I I remember exactly where I was the day that the that the brawl broke out. With it, it, me too. Yeah. Oh God! I was like standing in in the food line at my college, just like mouth agape, watching. This and brawl. we we absolutely would have won the title that year. We were stacked. The rest of the league was weak, and we were rolling. And he just is a psycho. He's he's the Michael Myers of the NBA. He well, killed in cold blood an entire franchise as the world looked on in horror. All I gotta say is Jermaine O'Neal's got a great right hook too. He she sure did. <laughs> when it comes to punching fat guys, that is who you want on your team. All right, we got to move on. My second topic this week. Uh, I don't know if you know this, uh, Aaron, uh, but the election's next week. I do know this. Yeah, and I am super excited about this election because when it's over, they'll stop. There won't be any ads on about it anymore. <laughs> That's what right. I'm most excited about. I would see. I've already voted. I don't know if they have early voting in Indiana, but Washington, it's all voted by mail. But you're only early voting. That's that's shocking and weird. Well, we're only vote by mail. Right. So I voted two weeks ago. I'm done. So weird. Votes are in. Um, I'm looking forward to leaving er- work early Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, exercising my democratic right, right. and then uh, going to a uh, my house and getting drunk early. <laughs> See, I have no idea why uh, why election day isn't a modified national holiday. Yeah, it'd be cool. Like the post office should still be open because there is vote by mail. Sure. But everything else should be closed, and you should get the day off of work. I, I agree. If we if 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 uh, the point of this country is to take democracy seriously, right. something like that would probably happen. It's like Columbus Day, really? Columbus Day and not Election Day? Right. 
Like you should get the day off to go vote. It's it's a no brainer. I don't understand. I agree it. totally. Um, but uh, but there are a ton of ads on, and and I'm now impartial because I've already voted, so I'm unswingable, um, and I live in a non-swing state. But I just want to play this campaign ad for you because I think that this kind of shows us so many things about the election landscape today, and uh, and I just need to talk to you about it. So here here goes my favorite election ad. My favorite election ad of the 2012 campaign. Christy Nome, Matt Verilek, radically different backgrounds, radically different visions for South Dakota. 1997, Arizona, Matt Verilek gets a degree in environmental studies and starts teaching <laughs> at the Biosphere 2, known as an incubator for radical environmental ideas. Back in South Dakota, Christy Nome is named Outstanding Young Farmer of the Year by the Watertown JCs. 1999, Matt Verilek earns a master's degree at the University of Glasgow, Scotland, and is named a greenhouse gas emissions broker for NatSource, a company that profits from cap-and-trade energy taxes. Ooh. 2000, Matt Verilek authors a document advocating a global cap-and-trade scheme, while Christy Nome is managing the family farm in Hamlin County. 2001, Verilek attends Cambridge University in England for additional environmental study. Verilek goes to Marrakesh, Morocco, promoting a global cap-and-trade plan at a United Nations Global Warming Summit. Back in South Dakota, Christie is living in Castlewood, farming, raising a family, helping to balance the books and manage a family restaurant. 2003, <laughs> Matt Verilek is in Milan, Italy, speaking at another UN Global Warming Summit. Back in South Dakota, Christy Noem receives the South Dakota Young Leader Award from the South Dakota Soybean Association. 2004, Matt Verilek leaves his job as policy director for NatSource to become a Washington, D.C. political staffer. 2006, Matt Verilek hosts a raucous National Corn Dog Day party in his swanky D.C. neighborhood, serving more than 1,000 corn dogs, 1,200 beers, and a 150-pound ice luge for consuming shots of Jägermeister. Yeah! 2006, Christy Nome wins a seat in the state legislature representing northeastern South Dakota in Pierre. Sioux Falls, 2008, Matt Verilek is back corn dogging again. Defending his title as one of the few to achieve a triple-double for his beer and corn dog consumption. As for Christy Nome in 2008, well, she was still looking out for South Dakota taxpayers and still representing her friends and neighbors in the legislature. Is this Matt for real? Verilek yeah. Or Christy Nome. Radical ideas or South Dakota common sense? Who do you trust to represent South Dakota? Paid for by the South Dakota Republican Party. I can't vote for Matt Verilek harder or fast enough. I know. I don't understand this at all. It's like Matt. They make him sound like Jason fucking Bourne. Exactly. Matt Verilek is awesome. And Batman. Cross. He's got an international master's degree. He's spoken at the UN. He's worked in Washington, D.C. He can eat. He achieved a triple double in corn dog and beer. He has a luge that dispenses Jaeger bombs, man. I don't understand why they're in South. Do people hate corn dogs and beer in South Dakota? You'd think that would right. be like a center of corn dogs and beer. If there was a corn dogs and beer museum, it would be in South Dakota. Yeah, I mean, I guess if South Dakota uh, politicians primarily are concerned with family farms and yeah. balancing the family checkbooks. <laughs> then you should vote for the Christie person. But if yeah. you want 
badass international man of mystery, I think <laughs> it's pretty clear that That's you want a, Matt Verilic. I don't understand it. And you, you gotta you gotta look at the YouTube and watch this video because it is it is like Jason Bourne. Like it's like it's like Carmen San Diego. They're like moving around the planet, and then there's like a little picture, and then they he's talking at UN Global Summits. Well, Chrissy Verilic is helping manage the family restaurant. Christy Verlick, never have been on an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> you know? What the hell? Uh, <laughs> I don't understand it. This, so, yes, election season is coming up. Uh, and I've already voted on everything. But uh, I don't know, man. I... I, I don't want. I don't like to get too political on this show, and I know that you and I don't are are not completely eye to eye on political issues, which is totally fine, right? But we're we're reasonable. We're reasonable, and I just think that anti intellectualism is where is like a ridiculous part of this country. No, I I agree. I'm I'm horrified at an ad like that, where yeah. it's basically like vote for the country bumpkin. <laughs> exactly. Don't vote for a scary person who's seen the world and has been educated. <laughs> and is smoking at the U.S. And what the hell is South Dakota's a common sense anyway? I don't know what South Dakota common sense is. Like, like I'm from the Midwest where we really are fucking proud of our common sense. Right. But that is a little much. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I, 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 I'm, I'm just like really flabbergasted by people who are like, well, I want to find somebody who's just like me. I don't want me. I don't want somebody just like me in the White House. I want somebody who's worked to be in the White House or as a state representative for a long time, has thought this out a lot, and has worked to get to that position, just like any job. Mm -hmm. That's like saying, like, uh, you know, the person who should be CEO of this company is someone just like me. No, the person who becomes CEO of the company is somebody who's run a company before or has worked as like a corporate vice president, like understands how to run a company and then can be a useful member of that company. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's I, I, I kind of want to get your perspective from this a little bit because you're a swing stater. What? When is Indiana swing state? Isn't it? Not on the national on, on the national ticket. Indiana is infrared, man. Oh, really? Uh, we did vote for Obama last year mm -hmm. or last election cycle, mm -hmm. but I think that's just a testament to how bad the McCain campaign and the Sarah Palin thing went over. Yeah, I would be very shocked if we pulled that off again. I can't remember the last time Indiana voted Democrat. Okay, I thought that it was more of a swing state than that. No, uh, I mean like like last year it was, but it's you know I last or not last year, uh, back in two thousand eight is the mm -hmm. first time I can ever remember seeing presidential election ads because huh. usually Indiana was like double digits for the other guy and they didn't even bother spending one red cent advertising the state. <laughs> wow, yeah, actually I'm looking at five thirty eight dot com right now and Indiana has a ninety nine point nine percent chance of voting for Romney. <laughs> yeah. While Washington yeah. has a 100.0% chance of voting for Obama. Right. We took we took a they yeah, Indiana took a chance with uh, Barry last time and he got that <laughs> government uh, health care for us. Uh -huh. they, you know, got a I don't know. Yeah. It, it is have you seen 538.com? No, I have not. It's a great but... website. Uh it's run by Nate Silver. Uh it's run by that uh liberal bastion, the New York Times. I bet he's flown to Europe at least once. He might. He's probably been to Europe twice. He's probably oh, been to mainland Europe. How can you trust him? And the British Isles. Where's the South Dakota common sense <laughs> in this website? 
I don't know. But uh, it's it's funny because there's a lot of national media that's poo-pooing this website um, uh-huh. because it says that uh, Obama has an 80.8% chance of winning, um, and it's all based on polling numbers. Uh, you could take a look at any state and see what the chances of Obama winning are or Romney winning. Um, right now, Ohio is at 83, 80.3% chance of an Obama win. Um, and he's basically like the sabermetrics dude for politics. He looks at like impartial state polls and, and gets a bunch of information on it. So there's people who are saying, well, this is really, this is really liberally biased, right? Uh, but Why? when it takes it because, because they're showing Obama winning. Yeah. And, and because, <laughs> and because it's an 80% chance at this point, I mean, it's kind of saying that an Obama win is a sure thing. Um, I would be sh- kind of shocked if if he didn't win. Yeah, it's, it's not going to be a landslide, no. but you know the, the electoral college being what it is, he's going to win. Right. I mean, he's got the electoral college advantage. I mean, Romney will probably win Florida, um, but uh, you know, there's that trifecta: there's Florida, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Obama has Michigan and, and Pennsylvania wrapped up. Those are done. So basically, all he needs to do is win Ohio, and he's got the whole thing done. Uh, and it, right now, it's an eighty percent chance of winning Ohio. Um, but, uh, and, and a lot of people are saying, well, this is incredible, blah, blah, blah. Nate Silver did this for the 2008 election and he got every state, but one correct. So I think it works pretty well in his favor. Um, but I, I would just, uh, I, you know, if you're coming up to the election, it's a very interesting website. I would, I would recommend uh, 538.com to people. I am a political junkie. I'm surprised I hadn't heard of that. Yeah, it's really. And I've been. Man. I follow like Matt Iglesias, and he's been on top of these polls for a long time. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe he has linked to that sign. I just haven't paid attention. Yeah, it says it says that uh, right now Obama's looking at getting 50.5 percent of the popular vote. He's looking about to, to nail down about 303 electoral college uh, votes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that basically, if he wins Ohio, then the whole thing's wrapped up, which is exactly what happened in 2004 with George W. Bush. Once he won Ohio, it was done, um, and that's kind of the classic swing state. Yeah, that's the incumbent advantage. Um, so anyway, that's politics, baby. Politicking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's time. I just want to let everybody know once again how they can get in touch with us. Uh, please give us a call three six zero three six two zero zero two four. We love it when you do that. Send us an email, personalarrogance at gmail dot com. You can follow us on Twitter at personal podcast. You can also find us on Facebook. We have the Personal Arrogance Facebook page. Um, and we're, we post to the Bald Move page, uh, which I can't recommend enough. Uh, and uh, I just want to say hi to all of our new likes on the Personal Arrogance page. Chris Mansfield, Carolyn Boyer, Aaron Pittman, Sean McDonald, Kevin Reed, and Greg Ross. Uh, and Aaron, you want to plug some Bald Move stuff? Uh, yeah, we're right smack in the middle of the uh, rollicking season of The Walking Dead. Uh, you can follow this uh, every Tuesday. We release about 10 o'clock in the evening, uh, the previous uh, or this week's uh, episode. Uh, we also have complete coverage of uh, all the seasons of Walking Dead, uh, uh, Mad Men, Justified, Game of Thrones, complete coverage for Game of Thrones, and uh, Breaking Bad, What? Uh, what how we got our start. So yeah. uh, I like it. <laughs> hey, Rod, this is how I knew we were match made in heaven. I, uh, uh, I went back and I listened to the first episode of Personal Arrogance today. Yeah. And the very first topic ever spoken about on this show is Breaking Bad. Really? Yeah. I don't know because I've been listening to you guys since the first episode, and I don't, I don't remember that. I don't. I, nev- I didn't remember remember that either. But we are we talk about Breaking Bad, and we talk about how we're really excited about The Walking Dead starting up. 
awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty legit. Okay, um, so let's move on to some recommendations to call it a cast. What's your first reco? Uh, go out and shoot some guns. Uh, okay. Last week, speaking of uh, good Midwestern values, uh, I went camping with the boys last weekend, and we all brought all of our guns and all of our ammo, and we each bought three pumpkins apiece because they're cheap this time of year. Uh-huh. We went out to my grandfather's 150-acre farm in southern Indiana, and we uh, regulated on those pumpkins, <laughs> and it was a great, great time. Did you? Was, was there anything intact when you were done? Oh, no. In fact, no. we got a little crazy. We had a bunch of... <laughs> partially spent those mini propane bottles uh-huh at the end we were uh we were shooting those and making them go you know and spin off and stuff well i can't wait I, to come. I, I, no, I, do not try that at home kids <laughs> that might may or may not be dangerous <laughs> i can't wait to come visit you in indiana Aaron. dude it's going if you guys ever come <laughs> i will show i it will be off the hook <laughs> it'll be off the hizzle i was just saying like that would be kind of a cool jack-o'-lantern if you just kind of riddled it with holes and then stuck a candle in it. <laughs> well, if your idea of a, a jack-o'-lantern is a chunky pu- pumpkin salsa, mm-hmm. because after we blew holes and basically cut them in half with the smaller ordnance, we got the <laughs> uh, 12-gauge shotguns on them right. and just vaporized them. Well, there you go. Well, so. uh, th- well, that's a thing. Uh, yep. and- <laughs> <laughs> uh, my first record this week is going to be a movie uh, that I watched. It's called Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. Have you heard about this movie? I, that's one Steve Carell, right? Yeah. I watched it, and it's. I just want to say great date movie. It's cool. got some, a little something for everything. I thought it was really well written. Um, I was also slightly sauced when I watched it, so that might skew me a little bit. But I do think it was a good movie. It was All surprisingly right. good. Who's um, the female lead in that? Kira Knightley. Oh yeah, yeah. I love inexplic- inexplicably uh, British people in American <laughs> movies. Now is that on Netflix? It no, it's on uh, Xbox Video. Cool, it's it's cool. a rental, right. but I would say it's worth the rent. Uh, what's your recommendation this week, Aaron? Last week I saw an awesome thing. It was the live riff tracksing of Birdemic. Now, mm-hmm. if you're not familiar with riff tracks, just basically think it's the same guys that did Mystery Science. 3,000, yep. and they do, you know, on RiffTracks.com, they got a riffing of modern movies where they just make fun of them, and every month or two, or two or three months, they do a live riffing where they go to a location in America, uh, they riff it live in front of a, a studio audience, and they beam this across the theaters in, in the nation, and if you go on RiffTracks.com, you can look up when the next one is. Dude, Tickets awesome. are like 12 bucks. Yeah, uh, It's a crowd full of uh, RiffTracks enthusiasts. They have this l- really cool setup to where you see the movie, and you also in uh, you see the camera on their, their faces. They're standing up like stand-up comedians mm-hmm. running along the sidebar like a four-way split screen. And you can see them, and they do. You know, it adds a lot to actually see them, and they're kind of <laughs> pantomiming things. Yeah. Hilarious. And the best part: show up thirty minutes before the movie, and they have fake movie trivia credits, Ooh. Uh, and custom songs that they play that are hilarious. I love it. I it's, love it. It's a good time. Lover attracts love. Ms. Uh, Mst. Three K. Love it. <laughs> First riff tracks I saw was a Harry Potter one, which was excellent. Oh, I'd, yeah, the first two, three Harry Potters. I got to say, though, the best riff tracks of all time, uh-huh. Twilight. Oh, yeah? The Twilight series are, you have to be seen to be believed. <laughs> all right. Uh, and then uh, my uh, my final recommendation this week is going to be a winter seasonal from Winmer Brothers, and it's the Burr Winter Seasonal. It's a great batch this year, and I really recommend that you pick it up, especially if you live in Florida. Uh <laughs> Because uh, because it's good and it's available there. 
And even if you live in South Dakota, it's just good, it's good sense. Right. Those, drink a good re- winter seasonal. Brian, Brian Danger Finch from the uh, Personal Arrogance uh, Florida branch let us know that Widmer Brothers is down there. And I told him to get the burr because it's a good, hmm. good batch this year. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for joining me this week. I really appreciate it. Thanks for ha- hosting me. Yeah, it was fun. Um, and uh, we're, we'll be back next week. Will Jesse be here? You'll just have to tune in to find out. Uh, so we'd like to remind you that wherever you go. And whatever you do. Please stay, stay here. Stay here.